chapter two part one of beyond these voices this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org beyond these voices by mary elizabeth braddon chapter two part one it was the middle of february and all the little gardens that lay like a fringe along the edge of the olive woods had become one vivid pink with peach blossoms while the dull grey earth under the peach trees was spread with the purple and red of anemones san marco was looking its loveliest blue sea and blue sky cypresses rising up like dark green obelisks among the grey olives and even the hotel garden was made beautiful by roses that hung in garlands from tree to tree and daffodils that made a golden belt round the dusty grass vera went to the dining-room alone at the luncheon hour on this heavenly morning a loneliness to which she was now accustomed as granny's delicate and scanty meal was now served to her habitually in her salon fortified by dr wilmot who was an authority at the anglais lady felicia had interviewed the landlord and had insisted upon this amenity without extra charge the hotel seemed in a strange commotion as vera went downstairs chambermaids with brooms and dusters were running up and down the corridor on the first floor doors that were usually shut were all wide open to the soft spring breezes furniture was being carried from one room to another and other furniture that looked new was being brought upstairs from the hall carpets and curtains were being shaken in the garden at the back of the hotel and dust was being blown in through the open window on the landing vera wondered but had not to wonder long for at the luncheon-table everybody was talking about the upheaval and its cause and a torrent of rambling chatter in which widows and spinsters were almost shrill with excitement gradually resolved itself into these plain facts an italian financier signor mario provana the richest man in rome and one of the richest men in london which of course meant a great deal more was bringing his daughter to the hotel a daughter in delicate health sent by her doctors to the most eligible spot along the western ligura the poor dear girl was in a very bad way the old ladies told each other threatened with consumption she had two nurses besides her governess and maid and the whole of the first floor had been taken by signor provana to the annoyance of lady sutherland jones quite the most important inmate of the hotel who had been made to exchange her first-floor bedroom for an apartment on the second floor which signor canincio the landlord declared to be superior in every particular as well as one lira less per diem i should have thought your husband would have hesitated before putting one of his best customers to inconvenience for a party who drops from the skies and may never come here again lady jones complained to the landlord's english wife who was if anything more plausible than her italian husband the holloway builder's widow was uncertain in her aspirates more especially when discomposed by a sense of injury madame canincio pleaded that they could not afford to turn away good fortune in the person of a roman millionaire who took a whole floor and would have all his meals served in his private salle a manger the extra charge for which indulgence would come to almost as much as her ladyship's arrangement 
for lady sutherland jones albeit supposed to be wealthy was not liberal her late husband had been knighted after the opening by a royal princess of a vast pile of workmen's dwellings paid for by an american philanthropist and neither husband nor wife had achieved that shibboleth of gentility the letter h vera heard all about signor provana and his daughter next morning from dr wilmot who was more elated at the letting of the first floor to that great man than she had ever seen him by any other circumstance in the quiet life of san marco i consider the place made from this hour said the doctor rubbing his well-shaped white hands in a prophetic rapture there will be paragraphs in all the roman papers and it will be my business to see that they get into the new york herald we must boom our pretty little san marco my dear lady felicia your coming here was good luck for we want our english aristocracy to take us up but all over the world mario provana's is a name to conjure with and if his daughter can recover her health here we shall make san marco as big as san remo before we are many years older it was my wife's delicate chest that brought me here and i have been rewarded by the beauty of the place and i think i may venture to say the influential position that i have obtained here he might have added that his villa and garden cost him about half the rent he would have had to pay in san remo or menton while a clever manager like mrs wilmot could make a superior figure in san marco on economical terms how old is the girl lady felicia asked languidly between fifteen and sixteen i believe she will be a nice companion for miss davis i do so hope we may be friends vera said eagerly in a hotel where almost everybody was elderly the idea of a girl-friend was delightful lady felicia who had been very severe in her warnings against hotel acquaintance answered blandly though with a touch of condescension if the girl is really nice and has been well brought up i should see no objections to vera's knowing her thank you granny cried vera she is sure to be nice signor provana's daughter cannot fail to be nice protested the doctor lady felicia was dubious an italian she said she may be precocious artful of doubtful morality signor provana's daughter impossible nothing happened to stir the stagnant pool of life at san marco during the next day and the day after that vera asked madame cananchio when signor provana and his daughter were expected but could obtain no precise information the rooms were ready madame cananchio showed vera the salon which she had seen in its spacious emptiness with the shabby hotel furniture but to which signor provana's additions had given an air of splendour sofas and easy-chairs had been sent from genoa velvet curtains and portieres bronze lamps and silver candlesticks persian carpets everything that makes for comfort and luxury and the bedroom for the young lady had been even more carefully prepared but beside her own graceful pillared bedstead with its lace mosquito curtains was the narrow bed for the night nurse which gave its sad indication of illness the flowers were ready in the vases filling the salon with perfume i believe they will be here before sunset madame canincio told vera we are waiting for a telegram to order dinner the chef is in an agony of anxiety first impressions go for so much and no doubt signor provana is a gourmet 
vera heard no more that day but the maid who brought the early breakfast told her that the great man and his daughter had arrived at five o'clock on the previous afternoon vera went through the flower market in a fever of expectation bought her cheap supply of red and purple anemones her poor little bunch of parma violets and branches of mimosa thinking of the luxury of tuberoses and camellias in the provana salon but she thought much more of the sick girl and the father's love exemplified in all that forethought and preparation for youth in vigorous health there is always a melancholy interest in youth that is doomed to die and vera's heart ached with sympathy for the consumptive girl for whom a father's wealth might do everything except spin out the weak thread of life she heard voices in the hotel garden as she went up the sloping carriage drive with her flower basket on her arm and at a bend in the avenue of pepper trees and palms she stopped with a start surprised at the gaiety of this scene which made the shabby hotel garden seem a new place the dusty expanse of scanty grass which passed for a lawn where nothing gayer than aloes and orange trees had flourished was now alive with colour a girl in a smart white cloth frock and a large white hat was sitting in a blue and gold wicker chair a girl all brightness and vitality as it seemed to vera where she had expected to see a languid invalid reclining among a heap of pillows a wasted hand drooping inertly too feeble to hold a book this girl's aspect was of life not of sickness and coming death her eyes were darkest brown large and brilliant with long black lashes that intensified their darkness intensified also by the marked contrast of hair that was almost flaxen parted on her forehead and hanging in a single thick plait that fell below her waist and was tied with a blue ribbon three spaniels one king charles and two blenheims jumped and barked about her chair and increased the colour and gaiety of her surroundings by their frivolous decorations of silver bells and blue ribbons and as if this were not enough of colour gaudy draperies of italian printed cotton were flung upon the unoccupied chairs and covered a wicker table while as the highest note in this scale of colour a superb crimson and green cockatoo with a tail of majestic length screamed and fluttered on his perch and responded not too amiably to the attentions of dr wilmot who was trying to scratch himself into the bird's favour the doctor desisted from his pretty pollyings on perceiving vera ah miss davis that's lucky do stop a minute with granny's flowers i want to introduce you to mademoiselle de provana the d was the embellishment of dr wilmot who could not imagine wealth and importance without nobility but the financier called himself provana to court vera murmured something about being charmed put down her basket on the nearest chair and went eagerly towards the fair girl with the dark lustrous eyes who held out a dazzling white hand smiling delightedly i am so glad to find you here dr Villemot. she stumbled a little over the name otherwise her english was almost perfect dr Villemot told me you were english and about my own age and that we ought to be good friends i am so glad you are english i have talked much english with my governess but i want a companion of my own age i have had no girlfriend since i left the convent three year ago dr vilmot tell me your father was a poet that is lovely lovely my father is a great man but he is not a poet though he loves dante 
my little girl is an enthusiast and something of a dreamer said a deep grave voice and a large tall figure came into view suddenly from behind a four-leaved japanese screen that had been placed at the back of the invalid's chair to guard her from an occasional breath of cold wind that testified to the fact that although all things had the glory of june the month was february vera was startled by a voice which seemed different from any other voice she had ever heard so grave so deep with such a tone of solemn music and yet voice and enunciation were quite natural there was nothing to suggest pose or affectation the speaker stood by his daughter's chair an almost alarming figure in that garden of ragged pepper trees shabby palms and sunshine the sun dominating the picture he was considerably over six feet with broad shoulders long arms and large hands very plainly clothed in his iron-gray tweed suit which almost matched his iron-gray hair he was not handsome though he had a commanding brow and his head was splendidly poised on those splendid shoulders vera told herself that he was not aristocratic indeed she feared that there was something almost plebeian in his appearance that might offend granny who having had to do without money was a fierce stickler for race while vera was thinking about him signor provana was talking to his daughter and the voice that had so impressed her at the first hearing became infinitely beautiful as it softened with infinite love what must it be to a girl to be loved so fondly by that great strong man vera had known no such love since her poet father's death she took up her basket of flowers and then lingered shyly not knowing whether she ought to go at once or stay and make conversation but guilia settled the question oh please don't run away she said don't go without making friends with my family let me introduce miss thompson indicating a comfortable light-haired person sitting near her absorbed in sudermann's last novel and look at my three spaniels jane seymour anne boleyn and catherine parr i call them after your wicked king henry's wives i hope you revel in history it is my favourite study she stooped to pat the spaniels who all wanted to clamber on her knees at once even under the full cloth skirt and silk petticoat vera could not help seeing that the knees were sharp and bony by this time she had discovered the too slender form under the pretty white frock and the hectic bloom on the oval cheek she knew the meaning of that settled melancholy in signor provana's dark grey eyes eyes that seemed made rather for command than for softness she caressed the sparkling black and tan anne boleyn and stroked the long silken ears of the blenheims jane and catherine and allowed them to jump on her lap and explore her face with their affectionate tongues jane seymour was the favourite guilia told her the dearest dear a most sensible person and sensitive to a fault vera admired the cockatoo and answered all guilia's questions about san marco and the drives to old mountain towns and villages old watch-towers and old churches drives which vera knew only from the talk of the widows and spinsters who had urged her to persuade granny to hire a carriage and take her to see all the interesting things to be seen in an afternoon's drive granny is not strong enough for long drives vera had told them they smiled significantly at each other when she had gone 
poor child i'm afraid it's granny's purse that isn't strong enough said the leading light in the little community i believe they're regular church mice for poverty in spite of the airs my lady gives herself said lady jones if it was me and money was an object i wouldn't pretend to be exclusive and waste ten lire a day on a salon i don't mind poverty and i don't mind pride but pride and poverty together is more than i can stand the other ladies agreed pride was a vice that could only be allowed where there was wealth to sustain it only one timid spinster objected lady felicia was a disbrow she said meekly and the disbrows are one of the oldest families in england vera had to promise to take tea with the signorina at five o'clock that afternoon before guilia would let her go i am not allowed to put my nose out of doors after tea guilia said not in a complaining tone but with light laughter people are so absurd about me especially this person putting her hand in her father's and smiling up at him just because of my winter cough as if almost everybody has not a winter cough promise arrivederci cara signorina vera promised and this time she was allowed to go mario provana went with her and carried her basket he did not say a word till they had passed beyond the belt of pepper trees that screened the lawn and then he began to walk very slowly and looked earnestly at vera i know you are going to be kind to my girl he said and his low grave voice sounded mournful as a funeral bell dr wilmot has told me of your devotion to your grandmother and how sweet and sympathetic you are you can see how the case stands you can see by how frail a thread i hold the creature who is dearer to me than all this world besides oh but i hope the signorina will gain health and strength at san marco vera answered earnestly she does not look like an invalid and she is so bright and gay she has never known sorrow she is never to know sorrow she is to be happy till her last breath that is my business in life sorrow is never to touch her but i do not deceive myself i have never cheated myself with a moment of hope since i saw death's seal upon her forehead in my dreams sometimes i have seen her saved but in my waking hours never as i have watched her passing stage by stage through the phases of a mortal illness i watched her mother ten years ago through the same stages of the same disease doctors said take her to this place or to that to sicily to tyrol to the engadine to india to the transvaal for four years i was a wanderer upon this earth a wanderer without hope then as i am a wanderer without hope now i have business interests that i dare not utterly neglect because they involve the fortunes of other people i brought my daughter here because i am within easy reach of rome i ought to be in london he had walked with vera beyond the door of the hotel he stopped suddenly and apologized i would not have saddened you by talking of my grief if i did not know that you are full of sympathy for my sweet girl i want you to understand her and to be kind to her and above all to give no indication of fear or regret you expected to find a self-conscious invalid hopeless and helpless with the shadow of death brooding over her and you find a light-hearted girl able to enjoy all that is lovely in a world where she looks forward to a long and happy life that gaiety of heart that high courage and unshaken hope are symptomatic of the fatal malady which killed my wife and which is killing her daughter 
but is there really really no hope of saving her cried vera with her eyes full of tears there is none all that science can do all that the beauty of the world can do has been done i can do nothing but love her and keep her happy help me to do that miss davis and you will have the heartfelt gratitude of a man to whom fate has been cruel my heart went out to your daughter the moment i saw her vera said with a sob i was interested in her beforehand from what dr wilmot told us but she is so amiable so beautiful one look made me love her i will do all i can all all but it is so little no it is a great deal your youth your sweetness make you the companion she longs for she has friends of her own age in rome but they are girls just entering society self-absorbed frivolous caring for nothing but gaiety i doubt if they have ever added to her happiness she wanted an english friend and if you will be that friend she will give you love for love forgive me for detaining you so long i will call upon lady felicia this afternoon if she will allow me or perhaps i had better wait until she has been so good as to call upon my daughter i know that english ladies are particular about details vera dared not say that granny was not particular since she had heard her discuss some trivial lapse of etiquette involving depreciation of her own dignity for the space of an afternoon clever girls who live with grandmothers have to bear these things signor provana carried her basket upstairs for her and only left her on the second floor landing with a thoroughly british shake hands he was the most english foreigner vera had ever met she had to give granny a minute account of all that had happened and granny was particularly amiable and warmly interested in miss provana's charm and mr provana's pathetic affection for his consumptive daughter they are evidently nobodies from a social point of view lady felicia remarked with the pride of a long line of disbrows in the turn of her head towards the open window as if dismissing a subject too unimportant for her consideration but i dare say the man's wealth gives him a kind of position in rome and even in london vera told her that signor provana wished to call upon her but would not venture to do so till she had been so kind as to call upon his daughter this was soothing i see he has not lived in london for nothing she said i will call on miss provana this afternoon you must help to dress me lidcott has no taste on this vera was bold enough to say she had accepted an invitation to take tea with the invalid without waiting to consult granny you did quite right great indulgence must be given to a sick child in that case i will defer my visit till tea-time and we will go together i want to be friendly rather than ceremonious vera was delighted to find granny unusually accommodating and that none of those unreasonable objections and unforeseen scruples to which granny was subject were to interfere with her pleasure in guilia society pleasure must it not be pleasure too closely allied with pain now that she knew the girl she was so ready to love had the fatal sign of early death upon her beauty but at vera's age it is natural to hope even in the face of doom she may improve in this place her health may take a sudden turn for the better god may spare her after all for the poor father's sake at least i know what i have to do to try with all my might to make her happy 
a footman in a sober but handsome livery was hovering in the corridor when lady felicia arrived supported by vera's arm and by a cane with a long tortoise-shell crook like the baroness bernstein's an amount of support which was rather a matter of state than of necessity lady felicia had put on her favourite velvet gown and point lace collar for the occasion she had always two or three velvet gowns in her wardrobe and declared that genoa velvet was the only wear for high-bred poverty as it looked expensive and never wore out End of chapter two part one